This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Go to SkullsplitterDice.com and use the coupon code TOMESHOW, all lowercase letters, for 15% off your first order. And by listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links and for being patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 343, we're going to visit strange worlds and try to figure out how to make them stand out as we talk about playing D&D in unique worlds. And joining us for this episode are two great guests who have both been responsible for some uniqueness in worlds. Uh, first up is the DM of The Last Refuge D&D Show, as well as the GM for the the or one of the official Burn Bright games, which starts in about an hour or so, so we better keep things moving along. Oh, Henio Vargas, welcome back. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I don't want to take away credit where it's due. Celeste Konowich is our GM for Burn oh, Bright. Oh, I am oh, merely a player. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> that, no, it's, you, I mean, you, I'm very flattered. Thank you. You've streamed many great games, and I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to, to watch this one yet. That's Oh, One of the great right. things that's about right. about time shifted uh, media is that I can always catch it later. So that's right, and there's so much out there. No, it's totally fine. I'm very happy to be back. Uh, happy to see you all. Also happy that you introduced me first because I feel mm-hmm. like our second guest has a much larger pedigree. What? <laughs> Speaking of our second guest, he's probably best known by our audience for bringing Eberron into existence. Uh, but he's also given us Phoenix Dawn Command. He worked on Titan's Grave, 13 Age, Illimat, for which he worked with the Decembrists. Uh, and who knows what else that hasn't yet yet made it onto his Wikipedia page. Welcome back, Keith Baker. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. I will say the thing that hasn't uh, made it onto my Wikipedia page is the Adventure Zone uh, Bureau of Balance, which is coming out in October. Yeah, it is. It is actually on there, and, and I didn't bring it up because because uh, it hasn't come out yet. So, but you're, well, no. fair enough. Fair yep. enough. And you've got that I coming. You've got that coming. Pre-ordered. Oh, <laughs> so you've got fair the Adventure enough. Zone that you did. You worked on with the the McElroys, right? That's correct. Yes. And then. Um, you just released a, a new Eberron book on DM's Guild. That's right, Exploring Eberron. Uh, year in the making, uh, and in some ways 15 years in the making, depending <laughs> how you look at it. And uh, very, very happy with how that turned out. Nice. Uh, and if you want to know more about that uh, in some detail, you recently had an episode, uh, a special episode of the Tome Show News that you did uh, about an hour with um, Lewis Britton. Uh, about it's that's on the same feed here, so people can go and listen to that. I only work with quality networks. You know oh, how it is. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to remind folks that if you'd like to see Tome Show recordings live and unedited, you can watch us record on twitch.tv slash Tome Show or later on YouTube. And also, oh, wait, be sure- unedited? Oh, crap. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. So now we should go on to that discussion. Uh, there are many, many different settings for D&D, and even more when you consider all the unpublished settings. Uh, but some stand out as being particularly unique. So we want to ch- chat about what the heck that means, how to create one, run it, and play in those settings, and who knows what else will come up. So I think it's it's worth having a conversation, I think, uh, about... What what are we going to talk about? 
themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the that's pre- a great idea. Right? What are we going to talk about? The premise was like, let's have a conversation about talking about some some really unique settings, and of course, every setting is unique, almost by definition, right? And and even if even if multiple people are playing in the same published setting. It's unique as soon as you start playing in it because your game is giving it its own its own spin. Um, so when we're talking about unique settings, what what do we mean by unique? I, I think just to jump jump right in on it, you know, a couple of things that immediately come to mind to me is what is a story I can experience in this world that I could not experience in another world. And, and why can I only experience that story here? Uh, to me, it's a little like just saying, well, what's a unique movie or what's a unique novel? That, you know, this is all about we are going to build a story together. What is it about the setting that is going to add to that story and make it compelling in a different way? And I feel that a setting can go in two directions for that. On the one hand, you take a setting like Eberron and the whole, you know, a big aspect of it is it brings certain elements, but it's incredibly broad and flexible. You can tell many different kinds of stories in Eberron. On the other hand, you take a setting like Dragonlance or for that matter, Phoenix Dawn Command, and there is a very specific story that is driving. We are expecting, if you're playing this, it's because you want to be part of this particular story. And I think both of those are valid, but that's a very different question. When you're starting off on that, what am I doing with my setting? Is there a single story, or are you making it to support many different unique stories? Mm -hmm. So, by your definition of a unique setting, does Dragonlance fit into the category of a unique setting? See, I would argue that the point to me is that Dragonlance, uh, that Kryn mm-hmm. is not an exceptionally unique world, you know, in terms of the fantasy world. It's a fantasy world with dragons, and it's not really designed to be unique. But what is unique about the experience is that we are setting you into this, the War of the Lands. You know, like we are, uh, there is a clear mission there. So it's not okay. that the setting itself is as unusual as something like Ghost Walk or Planescape. Uh, but on the other hand, what is unique about it is I go into it and I'm part of a story. Right. As opposed to, I mean, at least if you're running more of the lands, you know. Right. Um, so that's just my thought there. So Dragonlance would ca- would be categorized as uh, as a relatively not unique setting with uh, a unique story to tell. That's why I would go. But okay. as I say, I just came up with that theory three minutes ago. So yeah, no, I'm not absolutely. saying it's, it's well thought out. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a great jumping off point for sure. I think, and this this might be sort of a <laughs> a can of worms that is, is actually not under the purview of this particular episode. Worms. Yeah, tr- oh yes, just wait. No, uh, I... Uh, yes, absolutely. I think it's about what what is what can you do in this setting that you don't necessarily or that you aren't as easily able to do in other settings. I think that's an awesome like baseline definition of unique. What struck me as sort of interesting uh, because I I agree with you, Keith, about Dragonlance, and and I dare say there are unique 
things about the Forgotten Realms, but particularly in the last six years, you know, since since fifth edition came out and really sort of solidified that as their as as Watsi's primary campaign setting uh, for fifth edition from their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those settings, uh, I think we agree, are not, uh, based on our definition, the most unique. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting mm-hmm. because that is definitely a very specific point of view from us. Uh, mm-hmm. That default, that baseline, that normal, that not unique is that sort of Tolkien-esque, right, somewhat Eurocentric, stand, quote-unquote standard, the audience that's listening to the podcast cannot see my air quotes, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> quote-unquote standard uh, fantasy setting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it's not uh, it does not diminish this definition that we have no. come up with, and I absolutely think it's useful. It's worth saying that if your default, if your background, if your whatever, sort of sets up a different expectation for a quote not unique setting, right. Right. Uh, then the settings that fall into this category for you may be very different, right. uh, which actually is really cool to right. think about. And and to me, that's very much the point of, yes, it's true. I look at Forgotten Realms and generally say, well, it's kind of general high fantasy. Uh, but to me, like a big point is when we were developing Eberron in the beginning. And one of the things I said is I want um, to have gods that do not manifest in the world, that religion is actually driven by faith. And because this allows you to have stories about heresies and schisms and things like that that don't make sense in a world like Forgotten Realms. On the other hand, if you want to tell a story like the Time of Troubles, where the gods are walking the earth and and it's very Trojan War, Mm -hmm. you can't do that in Eberron. You know that I mean, basically, so that's one of the things I always sort of say is, it's not that I thought what Forgotten Realms was doing was bad or wrong. It's that it was already there. Right. You know, if someone wanted to tell that story, they could. And so it's just like you're saying. It's not like we're saying, oh, it's bad. It's just, you know, with any world, what is the story you can tell there that you can't tell somewhere else? Right. And I think I think it's a little bit easier, you know, uh, uh Eugenio like put his air quotes on standard <laughs> setting, but I think it's actually fair to to not even have the quotes. I think there is a standard set of assumptions in the rules of D and D. Fair enough. Sure. About what the world looks like. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's a set of standard assumptions that the that D and D assumes in any setting that is is pushing the envelope a little bit on that. Um, or, or even, even like there are optional rules within the DMG, you know, that, that if you're grabbing onto those, you could have a very different sort of, I think, unique setting. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you're just sort of, so I think we have a standard, I think D and D presents the idea of a standard setting. I think Dragonlance as a setting fits into it. I think the Forgotten Realms fits into it. I would argue, and I know old school people would argue with against me that I think Greyhawk fits, you know, firmly within within that um, era uh, area of standard setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so unique is something that's pushing those boundaries in my mind, right? It's something that's, okay, but it's, it's not just that assumption. It looks, it feels differently, right? And maybe sure. we do it within the mechanics that exist, and maybe we have to come up with a whole new system to, to represent dragon marks, but it's, it's the same, you know, it's, it's, it's right. pushing the, the assumptions, well, and 
And to me, you know, immediately, if you just say core settings and you say, what are the more unique settings? You know, my my, uh, brain immediately goes to dark sun, Planescape, Mm. you know, in part because I'm like, okay, these are very different from Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, all of, uh, you know, the more classic things. Whereas in a sense, Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms even having been playing D&D since the beginning, I would have to stop and say, okay, how do I concretely differentiate the two of them? And I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying if you know those settings, you would immediately be jumping. But I'm just saying (laughs) that it's not as obvious as Greyhawk and Dark Sun. I can tell you in 10 10 seconds what the difference Mm -hmm. uh, between these things is. And that goes a little bit back to your point about the story, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the story of Dark Sun is just obviously so different than right. what we're kind of seeing as like standard or generic uh, Western fantasy. Um, and and the risk about that, you know, is that the more unique you make a setting, uh, potentially the narrower you're making it in terms of what you can tell. That, you know, the advantage of the more broad setting like Forgotten Realms or the Pathfinder default setting is you can tell almost any kind of story there. I remember when I was working on the Pathfinder campaign setting and I was I given like three countries and it was like, this is the French Revolution country and this is the Dune country. And this is and and of course, the advantage is if I ever wanted to run a French Revolution story, there's a country for that. Right. Um, but on the other hand, you know, having everything in a way makes it not feel, feel as tight. And it comes back to that sense of, I'm going to go see a movie and, you know, the tighter the focus, the more unique it is, the more interested I am. But on the other hand, maybe after a while I get tired of watching Harry Potter movies. I don't know. You know? Well, I think that, I think it, it could be said that the the more unique settings tend to have a if not a story to tell at least there's a a theme to the mm-hmm. type of story they want to tell right Eberron is is noir right uh, uh, or or uh, pulp pulp right either way right but yes two uh, stories it wants to tell right <laughs> absolutely dark sun is is you know post apocalyptic fantasy uh, uh, spelljammer is is Fantasy in space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Forgotten and, Realms has lots of different stories it can tell because it has right. all these different places that are all kind of analogs to different real world you know, places and, and cultures and whatever. And so it's sort of a kitchen sink in terms of the, the stories it wants to tell. And, and that, to me, was a big part of creating uh, the world for Phoenix Dawn Command is uh, Delia, the the world for Phoenix, is not the most unique world because it was not really supposed to be. You know, it is a a sort of general low fantasy setting that is easy for people to get the basic picture of. Oh, we have a kind of Romanesque country here, uh, more of a big shamanic forest area here. Um, but the main point of it is you have this fundamental Pacific Rim uh, existential conflict with a vast unknown supernatural force. And that is the story. And that this is the point is we come in from the start and say this is a supernatural war story. Mm-hmm. And the point is, if that's not the story you want to play, this is the wrong setting. Right. And 
in designing that, part of the point to me is there are so many settings out there. You don't. Ha- this doesn't have to be a world for everything. You can play it. You can do your thing. And when you're tired of playing a war story, go play in another world. You know, it doesn't have to be everything uh, for everyone. And what that allows us to do is to have the whole world driven around this story, as opposed to the broader you get with something like Forgotten Realms or, as I was just saying, French Revolution and Dune in the same setting the world, the story feels more diffuse to me. Yeah, I think that's worth uh, saying also here up front as we sort of dig into what Unique is and what settings fall into it, is that Unique is, uh, as we are using it right now, is definitely not a value judgment. And I think we've, oh, we've yeah. all sort of said that yeah, in yeah. our own way. But I want to say it explicitly that like <laughs> the stories you can tell in Greyhawk Forgotten Realms, uh, Dragonlance, are not inherently better or worse no, because those no, no. feel so general, right? right? And I think I think the vast majority of people who are going to listen to this understand that. But it is worth saying, I think, out loud yeah. because uh, because exactly what you've been saying, Keith. Right? Yeah. It's about yeah, what yeah. story you want to tell and how long do you want to do you want to sit there and and tell that story? And then when you want to tell a different story, maybe it's time to move on to another setting, and that is that is fine. <laughs> no, and I I completely agree. And but definitely sort of part of the the thing to me is, like I said, uh, I love the general concept of the Time of Troubles. You know, I was a big fan of Greek mythology when I was growing up. Uh, and so, again, yeah, like like I said, I'm not saying like, oh, it's bad to have gods that interfere with, uh, with the world. On the other hand, I'm also saying, yeah, but there's a lot of a lot of settings that can do that. Right. Totally. And 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 there's stories you can tell with that kind of setting that you can't tell. In, yeah, in Eberron, but there's yeah, stories you can tell in Eberron that you can't tell in the realms, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think we've we've talked around and and come to some sort of consensus of at least amongst the four of us about what we consider to be unique settings. Um, so there are a lot of published settings out there, but arguably there are infinitely more unpublished settings uh you know i think i think um statistics have indicated that the vast majority of people are not playing in published settings anyway um so there's a lot of people out there making settings how do you do that anybody have any favorite methods for creating sort of unique settings to tell uh, the stories that they want to tell to me, it feels like if someone is going to homebrew a setting for their campaign, uh, obviously this is not universally true, but it feels to me like if they are going to go through the effort of homebrewing a setting, it's probably because they have a unique element in mind. Either they have a story that requires a specific, you know, few facts or details about the setting to be true, or uh, or they just have an idea about a setting that doesn't get fulfilled in what is available to them elsewhere. Now, of course, there are a million other reasons that you're going to homebrew a setting, but that feels like a pretty strong one to me. So building from this uh, starting with the uniqueness, right? Finding that thing mm-hmm. that is the reason you want to create it in the first place and building out from there feels like a great place to start to yeah. me. No, I I completely agree with that. And, and that's one of the things I always say is give me the pitch. 
Describe this to me in two sentences. And that doesn't mean it has to cover every deep aspect of the world, but it's like, what is the coolest thing? What is going to make me say, oh, I want to play in that? And and part of it to me is it comes back to, again, what we're doing is creating a story, and that's not much different than creating a movie or creating a novel. And if I said, I just saw the greatest movie, let me give you the, the quick thing, how would I put it? And so it's just building on exactly what you were saying. It's that what is the coolest core piece? If I had to, to describe this to you to get you interested, what would I say? And then take that and build out from there. Yeah, no, I think I think that's all. Um, that's that's right. I, 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 by and large, especially um, current Jeff thinks that way, right? There was mm-hmm. certainly a a time in my life where, and it was probably when I was significantly younger than I am now. Uh, but there was a time in my life that I absolutely was going to be like, "Hey, I'm going to make." my own version of the Forgotten Realms. I love the Forgotten Realms and I want to make a setting because I want to make a setting and it's just going to be my version of the realms. And I was maybe a little bit less experienced and mature at the time and didn't wasn't thinking like, yeah, but like if I just want to make my own version of the realms, why not just run the realms and change the things I want to change, right? That makes a lot more sense. But And, and I mean, I think another question that has to be brought up here is why not put it in our world? Why make a new setting at all? Because if you are building from history, just pick any location, any place, anything, everybody knows it. You know, you've got all these common foundations to build on. And I'm not saying just use history, but I'm saying there is the point of saying, why am I not just using our Earth? Because I could. And so if I'm making a new world... What is it that this is going to let me do? You know, what is the story that will let me tell that I couldn't just tell in Rome or in, you know, ancient Egypt or wherever I could set it? Right. And in fact, I think one of the more unique settings that I've created actually um, counter to to the idea of why isn't why aren't we just doing this in Earth? The whole idea was I, I ran it. I ran my my last big D&D campaign on Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was okay. It's on Earth, but it's fantasy, and right. so and I think that's one of my favorite ways of coming up with a setting is like let's take two things that don't go together, mm-hmm. and, and and mash them together and and just sort of follow it from to its natural conclusions and see where it goes. And so I'm like I want to run on Earth, but something happened some undetermined you know years ago, and now the world is magic. Sure, right? but like this city is in is 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 built inside the ruins of an old aircraft carrier, or you know, mm-hmm. and, and and that kind of stuff. So so it has all those. I think I was actually inspired by Titan's Grave when I first right, came right. up with the idea. I was about to say, sounds Thundar to me. Yeah. Um, and to me, you know, the second thing about making a unique setting that you always have to worry about is: is it too unique? Mm. Is it? Uh, far enough a field that people aren't going to be able to connect to it or that they need to read a whole textbook before Mm -hmm. they can really understand it. That's the strength of running something that in any way is connected to our world, is you can say, yes, this is the ruins of Portland, but now it's a giant swamp, but I still have a concept of Portland so I can work with. 
if you're not doing that, it is still the point of Dark Sun. I can at least say, okay, post-apocalyptic. Oh, I get that. I understand. I have a, I have a basic vision. I'm dropping onto that. Think D and D Mad um, Max. Okay, done. I got D and D Mad Max. I got it. Yeah. You know, and and that's all I'm saying. You know, Ravenloft. Okay, I get it. It's basically Dracula, but in D and D. And, you know, the the issue is, and that comes back to that, can I give it to you in two sentences? You know, if I can't, if I have to take an hour to explain to you the complex history and the interaction of forces, and this is on a giant cosmic bicycle that is floating around, uh, you know, a dandelion in the heart of the universe. I mean, already we're getting into wait a bicycle, you know, like, yes, that's that's unique for sure. But why? <laughs> you know? Right. Although, well, doesn't that get a little bit into, like, where we're still doing status quo unique? Well, see, as I say, the question to me is not, is it, uh, I'm trying to think how to put this. It's back to, can players connect to it? Can they understand the concept? Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is, if I come out and I say, it is a world where pugs replaced humans... And, you know, it's Pugmire or whatever. You can at least get a vision of that. Uh, Whereas if I'm back to saying it is a world where everyone is different shades of oil paint. I'm (laughs) not sure what that looks like or what the adventure is or what kind of story do I tell in a world of oil paints. So all all I'm sort of saying is if it is too abstracted or unconnected to anything, and even if it's more concrete... I still potentially run into the, but I don't understand what kind of character I would play in this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is a world with 50 different noble houses, and they all live on houseboats. And each house has its own houseboat and surrounding flotilla of ships. And having just jumped on that, I can say, okay, that's unique, and I get it. It's like some kind of water world with houseboats. Mm-hmm. But without knowing anything about those 50 houses... I don't actually know what kind of character I can make. And to actually have to read about 50 different houses before I can make a character is going to be tiresome. Right. Sure. So, but, but that does mean that there's a limitation to when we talk about unique potentially in terms of if we actually want to explore things that aren't currently common in our world in things that are very, um, like, the more common stuff like I'll just throw out gender roles, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Because in order to break down how we automatically make our assumptions about gender, we would have to do a little bit more of that work. That's harder to break down in a two-sentence pitch. Well, see, I, there's a couple things, if you don't want me uh, following up, that I would say to that is, first off, a two-sentence pitch is never going to get all the depth of a setting. There's no way that it can uh, and ideally your setting is going to be deeper and more interesting than two said sen- two sentences could get, but I'm still saying, can you tell me in two sentences, the kind of story we're going to say? And I'd say, if you started off saying, this is going to be a world where we explore, uh, different approaches to gender, or this is a world in which gender has no, uh, no meaning, you know, I mean, again, to something like ancillary justice, where people have no concept of gender as we understand it. 
you know, or something like that. That can be one of your two sentences. That it doesn't necessarily even have to be about the world if it's about the stories we're going to tell in the world, which comes back to saying, again, Dragonlance is not a particularly unique world, but I'm going to come right out and say, we are in a war against evil dragons. And that is part of my two-sentence pitch. So I definitely think you can say in you could definitely have a setting in which we're saying, you know, it's the same way that I said Phoenix isn't that interesting a world, but it's driven by this story. You could right. say I've got a setting where actually the world itself is a fairly traditional fantasy setting, but I'm really getting into it is an entirely gender fluid uh, right. culture. And that is the story that we're going to be exploring when we play this. That's the unique part. Yeah, and I wasn't saying like it was impossible or anything. It was just more the further, in some ways, the further afield we get from where there maybe aren't a ton of media out there that we can easily pull from when we want to add that to a unique setting. There might be a little bit more work there, and thus mm-hmm. uh, it, it's something to consider with the people you're going to play with, whether or not they're, they're going to be interested in breaking those things down and work through that. That's a That's a really sort of, great and fascinating other angle to to approach this unique setting uh, with is that, uh, you know, because for me, and I, and I don't know how you were sort of imagining this, uh, uh, Tracy, but a setting where gender roles or gender in general is completely different than the way we conceptualize it, right? Part of the point of that setting might actually be that that's not that's not what the story that we're telling is about, mm, right? Because mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. isn't the point, right? right we talk no. all the, as a queer person, we, I talk all the time about how like, I just want queerness to exist in the world. I don't want the story to be about it, mm-hmm. right? right? So that's actually really interesting because uh, my first point earlier to, to Jeff's question about, you know, where do we start? How do we create this, these settings, these unique settings was what's the story build from there. But maybe, but maybe that's limiting in some ways. Maybe that's, uh, maybe in conjunction with that, or maybe a different way to go about it, or maybe, I don't know, a million maybes, uh, (laughs) is to think about these other sort of baseline assumptions Mm -hmm. about your settings that you want to mess with, right? And that that can create a whole other, that's a, that to me is a sort of fascinating and completely different way. And it's definitely not how I started to create The Last Refuge, but but how different would the world creation process have been if I'd started there instead? That's really interesting. But I'd also say that that part of that, too, is the point that you're going to start somewhere. Sure. That's not where you're going to end. So, like, when I look at Everon, I can say, okay, I started with this point that, oh, it's got themes of pulp and noir and magic being used instead of technology. And that was a starting point. But here I am 15 years later, and I just wrote a whole book that adds all kinds of details that it didn't. And, for example, uh, I really love some of where we've gone with, for example, changelings and exploring changeling culture and the significance of identity uh, and such for them. But that's not what the setting's about. You know, it's just that the setting also has room to explore those things. So I'm not saying, uh, first off, to be clear, that that everything we've talked about isn't uh, an important way to start. But I'm saying even if it's not, you can expand and build and add depth and add layers uh, as you go. That it doesn't have to, it's just what you were saying, Eugenia, uh, that it doesn't have to be what the setting is about uh, to actually still become an interesting story that you can explore there. Right. Yeah, and actually we're we're we've 
naturally sort of transitioned into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is how do we add the detail? How do we add the depth as we're as we're coming up with these these unique settings? And and I think there, I mean, there's standard sort of setting creation or campaign creation advice that I think is still holds true of like there's a degree to which the answer to the question is don't like there's no there's no need to to you know come up, figure out your entire forgotten realms whole cloth from 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 day one right uh start with the areas that you're going to be in and then expand from there i mean even uh, as we have keith baker here and we talk about eberron a lot uh, as our touchstone right uh even eberron like you at least started off limiting yourself pretty much to a continent. And there's a whole bunch of world out there that, that remains more or less unexplored. I, I think an important point that I jump on here too is, is it's a conversation I've actually had quite recently on my website, uh, you know, in part with exploring Eberron where I have been adding details. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was writing about sort of creating history. Like Eberron has this big thousand year stretch of history that we really don't talk much about when this kingdom was around. I wrote a little bit about it and a lot of people have been like, well, what happens here? And what about these laws? And what about this? And I've always generally had the principle of, I don't add more elements unless I can think of at least three ways that that thing could inspire a story. Like, why does this matter? Why does anyone care about this piece of history? But also, one of the things I was saying, you know, in this article is, does adding this piece of information help with your stories? Or is it actually more likely to get in the way of someone's story? That down the road, someone's going to want to do an interesting story and someone else is going to say, oh, but such and such says that the laws of such and such, you know, get in the way of that. And and I've had a lot of people sort of asking me questions about, well, how does this work? How does that work? What was this law thing again, 300 years ago? And I'm like, how do you want it to work? Right. Like what is going to make the, the story you want to tell? And so that's sort of the key thing to me is when you're making something, always remember we're making this, we're not doing this as a sociology experiment. We're doing this to make a story with our friends and and no one's going to give you a failing grade if you don't <laughs> you know completely map map things out correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I and I think that's I think that's good advice. Although, uh, and it's it, it's indicative of different approaches. I should we should have had invited Ed to, Ed Greenwood to come on for this sure discussion enough. as well, right? Because <laughs> because if you ask him what happened in this place three hundred years ago in the Forgotten Realms, he knows. <laughs> no, and, and I think. That's exactly where people are coming from in asking their questions is they're right. assuming I do know because right. they're assuming that it is like that. And what right. I'm saying is most of the time I don't know. I'll make it up on the spot to fit the the story that I'm running. But I kind of like that it's not written down with those thousand years of history because I can make it up on the spot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, always remember that that's a freedom, you know, that there's there's value to that uh, that looseness. Yeah, one of my favorite things that I ever did with, uh, again, with that that my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth uh, uh, setting that I ran my my last big campaign in North Carolina before I moved, uh, is is when it came to a lot of the details. Since it's a homebrew setting for one campaign, I let the players tell me mm -hmm. what the setting Absolutely. was. Right? I said, okay, we're going to start in this place. We're going to call up the Free Realms. It's an alliance of five different countries. You pick, here's the map, pick, where is it? Okay, now each, there's five of you, each of you detail a country. 
Okay, now there's also these other threats and goals out there in the world. Tell me about them, right? And I yep. sort of, yep. I, at the same time, I also knew that I was I was going to run out of the abyss, sort of modified for this. I was going to run uh, um, um, Prince of the Apocalypse modified for this setting, right? So I already had ideas of story that was going to be taking place, but the setting could mod could could. Uh, could be detailed all over the place uh, and still and, make and still make that work. And this is a big question of are you creating this setting because you want to try and sell it, in which case you have to sort of fill in these details, or are you making this to play with your friends, in which case the more you can make it unique to your group, the better. Uh, the one more little thing I'll just throw out is similar question that came up. Uh, in exploring Eberron, I get into more detail about the planes, including the the Fae, you know, courts. And a bunch of people have said, well, what are fairy tales of Eberron? And one of the things I've said again is, well, you know, you can draw on our fairy tales for inspiration because people will know them. But you can also ask the players. Mm -hmm. Tell me, you know, because part of the point is that the idea of fairy tales in a setting is these are the stories everyone knows. These are the stories you heard as a kid. And if I have to tell it to you, if it becomes homework and you're trying to remember what was the thing you described, that's very different to if I say, no, you tell me how the story of the woodcutter's daughter plays out. Because now it is the story that you remember. And so I completely agree. The more that you have that kind of flexibility, even if it's just cosmetic details, it makes the players have an attachment. It makes it their their unique world mm -hmm. because nobody else is playing in this exact same world. So one of the things I've noticed when I've run um, games in more unique settings, and so I wanted to ask a little bit about it, was that when you first start off playing a game in this, you know, in this incredibly unique setting, right? You're playing Spelljammer, you're playing Dark Sun, you're playing your homebrew setting, whatever. Um, it feels really weird and unique because it's so different in so many ways to, to anything else that these players have played, right? But over time, you know, you've played 10 levels, 12 levels, 18 levels, whatever it is in this setting. It's been years. Um, and, and pretty soon, like I've noticed that, that even as a DM, I start to, to drift more towards just standard D&D &D over time, right? I, I, I forget to point out the details like or create the details like the city is built inside of a giant aircraft carrier or whatever, right? Um, how, do we, how do we keep a unique setting so that it still feels unique down the road, I guess, is where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of the answer to that, at the very least, is it goes back to what was that uniqueness that we started with, right? Why did why did we need this unique setting to exist in the first place? What made it unique in the first place? Because if that is, oh, I want this one city to be in an aircraft hangar, that maybe isn't a sustainable uniqueness point, right? Because it is it is sort of limited in scope. Whereas if we say this setting, the cities of this setting are all built inside of old, old world structures that we have forgotten the original purpose for, now suddenly that's something that we can you know, have in our, our DMs notebook or whatever it is, right? And pull in every time we want to go to a new place. And it's a very, like, straightforward, I, I don't want to say simple, but, like, obvious thing that we can go back to. If we find ourselves drifting from that, if we find ourselves even, you know, taking that broad point and sort of losing that, then 
uh, I started a sentence and didn't know where it was going. Uh, then, I, <laughs> then I think, <laughs> then, then, you know, I think maybe there are, hopefully there are other things that you have learned in the course of playing in this setting that are also unique that you can sort of pull from. But I feel like Keith probably has a good follow-up to this. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think an interesting point that ties to, to what both of you are saying is how is the uniqueness of the setting driving the campaign? And if it's yeah. not, why did it matter in the first place? So what I'm saying is if we've got this setting where all of our cities are in big, giant, old world buildings, I sure hope that by the end of the campaign, we're going outside of one of them or we're finding out what built these buildings. And of course, it's not that... Uh, you know, every campaign has to solve, you know, there doesn't have to be an end point to a campaign. But what I'm saying is in Dark Sun, we know that the Sorcerer Kings are out there and that they could be fought. And like that, ideally, even if the game, the campaign doesn't end with us doing it, the campaign is still driven by a conflict that is unique to the world. Uh, if it's in Planescape, well, we're going to be plane hopping. Like that should just be what our adventures are about. And uh, and to some degree, this is this comes back to that difference between Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms. It's Dragonlance. Well, you know, it's Dragonlance because you're fighting the dragons and, <laughs> you know, you aren't going to stop doing that because that's what drives the world in a Greyhawk or, or Forgotten Realms. It is more this is a world of a thousand stories. Now, that's where you say, oh, but this story is the time of troubles. And that is unique to Forgotten Realms because it's all about the interaction of the way gods work in Forgotten Realms. And that's sort of the question to me is, is when you're creating your campaign, when you're creating the arc, how does that arc build on something that is in some way unique to the world? Because if it doesn't, then maybe that's the problem. Sometimes that uniqueness element people add to particularly fantasy and sometimes science fiction stories um, are, I'll call them busy work type uniqueness. Mm. Like, we'll just, yep. it's a 10 day instead of seven. And now we have unique names for all the months mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's unique. But it's not sustainable or something that people are probably going to invest in in the same way that the story element Sorry, yeah, go ahead. And, no, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, that's the point to me. If the 10-day calendar is exactly the kind of detail that I'm like, you can do that. It makes it unique. But at what point are the players going to feel like, oh, it's so cool that that 10-day calendar came into play, as right. opposed to it being a detail that they're going to keep forgetting. Oh, no, wait. Oh, dang. It's a 10-day it's a calendar. And, and yeah, uniqueness purely for the sake of uniqueness isn't necessarily... You know, valuable, but you know, you had a, you had a comment earlier. Yeah, just on a in a completely sort of different direction. I think it, I think it says a lot about actually all four of us uh, and the way that we think about writing and designing and creating that we are really focusing on sort of the meta story aspects of the setting. You know, another thing that that we use in the Last Refuge that is uh, particularly engaging for uniqueness is interesting mechanics. You know, mm -hmm. I think to some extent in Eberron we could even say the dragon marks. Right sure. in the Last Refuge, it's lunar cycles having an effect on the stability of magic in yeah. uh you know so if we really that is a thing that is going to you know if you as the dm really commit to that if you commit to you know saying that every time uh, a a spell of six level or higher is cast then you have to do this strange thing or whatever it right. is right mm -hmm. then that is going to be something that the players 
no is coming, uh, but is still exciting and is still obviously very different from your, again, standard sort of fantasy world. I think there is value in looking for not overly complex, not busy work, but interesting, right. different, and there's the word unique, mechanics that happen right. in your world. And and I would totally say uh, the dragon marks are an excellent point in everyone of, okay, it's a little mechanical thing. It's not that big. But because of that, that leads to the dragon marked houses. The dragon marked houses are a big driving point that both exist at just a purely everyday, oh, we want to get healed. We're going to House Jurasco. That just is going to pop in all the time. And yet at the same time, the dragon marked houses can also be a very big driving point of a campaign. So that comes back to, well, in Eberron, how is the world affecting the campaign? Well, it's affecting the campaign because we're fighting a dragon-marked house, which is, you know, and it all trickles back down to what is a unique aspect of the world. I'll say uh, with Phoenix, uh, which isn't D&D, of course, but that's kind of the point here, is, again, the real driving thing with Phoenix all came back to the point of Phoenix is a setting where you level up when you die. And... That is a fundamental piece of the world that's not going away. It's not like we get to the end of the campaign and we forget that, oh, dying makes us level up because by then you're running out of lives and you're all, you know, I mean, it is it is a driving part of what makes the story a Phoenix story. And it is, as you said, because it's a basic element of how we are playing every game. Right, right. And I think, you know, I think it's also important to realize that there's a distinction between getting used to the uniqueness of your setting and living in it and it just becoming your new normal right. and and losing track of it, which was actually your your original question, Jeff, <laughs> was losing track of it and, and sort of sliding into that, right? I uh, I don't think a campaign, a long form campaign of constant new surprises is is energetically sustainable, right? <laughs> I would love for for to get to a place in a setting where its uniqueness is my sort of default normal right. way to look at it. That's Ooh. great. It's where we lose track of that uniqueness, as you mm -hmm. said near when you first asked the question, Jeff, that that's what we want to really find a way to bring ourselves back. Well, and an interesting sort of flip side to this, uh, because it's not actually about campaign design, uh, but novel design. I've written two trilogies of novels set in Eberron. And when I got to the end of the first one and uh, decided they want to do something new, part of the problem I had with it is my first series, the Dreaming Dark novels, they're perfectly good, but it is very much a story that could be told in any setting. It is a party of adventurers dealing with an extra planar evil that's going to show up and cause trouble. And again, they're going to unique Eberron places. They're fighting unique Eberron villains. But the basic story could be told anywhere. And so with the next series, I was like, well, what is a unique Eberron story? You know, a story that does not just couldn't just be in Forgotten Realms. And so what uh, the Thorn of Brainland novels are is it's a spy thriller. And it's this is James Bond in uh, in D and D, and part of the point of that is because it took the idea of Eberron is a setting where magic is part of everyday life. Well, how does that work into spy, you know, into espionage? And as I say, what I like about that series is I'm like this is more unique to Eberron, and so it's the same idea with a campaign. Am I telling a campaign that I could just as easily? Telling Greyhawk or tell, you know, frankly, in Dark Sun, 
Or is there something about this that that really is, this is a story that only works, you know, in Eberron, that is somehow drawing on that uniqueness? So I had one more question, if Eugenio is going to be able to, to hang out with us. I know you've got I'm, a... Yeah, I'm good. So I had one more question then, because uh, so far, most of our conversation has, I think very justifiably, been full of really great advice that's mostly useful for DMs, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. My last question, I think, can be helpful for DMs, but it's really targeted towards, okay, but what about the players, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to know, how do, you, how do we think that players can help add to the uniqueness of a setting or, or at least embrace the uniqueness of a setting? What can they do? What advice could we give the players to, to help with that process? I mean, I'll I'll jump in and just say, I mean, part of it, again, is it comes back to in designing the setting, are you dropping in elements that are sort of designed with that in mind? And so I will say that straight from the start, uh, it's it's very much like you were talking about just earlier, Jeff. uh, But, you know, that's the point of Eberron with the last war is with the last war, which is this vast civil war that shook up the the natural order. Part of the point of that is so I can go to the players at the very beginning of the campaign and say, what did you do during the war? What did you lose? How did it affect you? What nation did you fight for? That the point is, A, there's no answers to this, you know, no right answers, but B, that it's this big sort of pile of toys for the players to sort through and say, I'm going to be from this country and I did this, or I chose not to fight in the war because I was an objector, you know, that, uh, it's, you know, and, and in Phoenix, the immediate question is how did you die? Everybody who is a Phoenix, you died and came back. And the question is, how did you die? What gave you the strength to come back? And, and what are you fighting for? And so to me, as I said, it's not just in both of those examples. The point is, I'm not just saying you're a dwarf fighter, go. I'm saying, tell me about how you take this piece of the world and make it your own. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just important in coming up with a setting to give the players that kind of toolbox to play with. In a lot of ways, I feel like the, the answer to this question is very similar to the question of how does a player make choices that is going to help embrace and add to any campaign. Right. Just, you know, mm-hmm. here's the story of the campaign, you know, set, setting as well. And, and how do you sort of take that? How do you embrace that? How are you going? You know, it, it always um, like I get it, but I, I do. I cringe a little bit every time one of my players is like, oh, I think in the next campaign I'm going to play such and such. I'm like, I, I haven't told you. Or we haven't talked yeah. about what the next campaign's going to be. Like, what do you do? like? Go make characters. That's fun. I get it. Like, make make a thousand characters a day. That's that's a blast. Uh, but like, let's have a conversation about about what the setting is, about what the story is, and and then make a decision about what character you're interested in playing that's going to fit into that that narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that. Uh, you know. On the player side, you just have to be willing to to buy in and to dive into whatever the uniqueness is, because there's a reason that your DM chose or created this setting. Uh, and 
And there's a real good chance, particularly if it's something that your DM has created to be unique for a specific purpose for this campaign, there's a real good chance that they're very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing you can do is is good advice, of course, for any for any player in any campaign ever, but is particularly important when there are going to be things that you expect to be a certain way and are not, is just be ready to dive in and accept that and go with it. And as the as the sort of story goes on, you may have opportunities to sort of participate in the creation of more of this setting. Uh, again, if it's a unique thing that your DM has built for you, but at that start, I think just be ready to to sort of to some extent go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And and the only other thing I say to that is is sort of coming back to what uh, you were saying, Jeff. Is a question I get a ton is how do I put race X into Eberron? How do I put Tabaxi into Eberron? How do I put Goliaths into Eberron? And one of the things I always say is you you know basically someone says I've got a player who wants to play a turtle. Where do I put turtles? And one of the things I always say is why do they want to play a turtle? Like what is compelling to them about that? And and so, like, don't just create a random place in Eberron that doesn't fit that story at all. You know, I'm going to say, oh, I want them to be like an actual turtle who was, like, irradiated by the morning and turned into a turtle. Uh, but does that work? Does that does that give them what they want? Does that tell the story that the campaign is trying to tell as well? <laughs> exactly. That you want to find that middle ground between what is what is it that is making that player say, oh, I really want to play an X before they even know the campaign. And can you then find the middle ground to say, well, I'm taking that idea, but let me tell you the cool way that it actually is incorporated into this, you know, draw them in. But if you just ignore the story they want, then they're going to be fighting against the setting. Mm-hmm. And then you're at a, a whole different problem. And so you want to find a way to try and weave those together. Um, something I've been doing that's not gaming related, that really, though, I think um, is a good example of what you're talking about, Keith, and, and everyone else, is that uh, I've been watching this Netflix series called Stay Here. And mm-hmm. it's about uh, helping people create these short-term rentals and really market them well and get the clientele that they want to get from it. And in particular, tell the story of the location because when people do short-term rentals, they're really trying, they're trying to get out of that corporate America hotel. That's just like, it could be a hotel in Austin, same one as in somewhere else, like in Atlanta, like you couldn't tell from being in there. So it's all about like that local locality and also thinking through like, are you serving big groups or are you serving romantic couples and then how do you weave those together Mm -hmm. to create that story when they walk through that door and Mm -hmm. so it might help some people to kind of understand if it doesn't come clear from gaming because sometimes like for me for instance it hasn't always come clear that it's a a way of walking through those steps and figuring out what types of questions you might have to answer and ask and and one thing I'll I'll jump on you know immediately just to the point uh, I know we're, we're running short on time uh, that was a thing we did actually in Rising from the Last War, uh, the most recent Eberron book, uh, was group patrons. Mm-hmm. And I know they're going to do more with group patrons later on, but was the point of basically saying, okay, great, you're a party of adventurers playing in Eberron, but are you just a party of adventurers or are you newspaper reporters? Or are you a unit of soldiers? Are you spies? And it's, it's sort of, you know, the point to me is exactly what you were saying, Tracy, is what's this you know, what is the, the the story that I can hook into, that I get what makes this different from the last thing? And if, if uh, taking what you were saying, Jeff, if I tell the players in the next campaign, we're going to be spies, 
right. that just immediately we'll get into the details as we go. But at least they can start thinking, OK, spies, I've got an idea of where that goes. And so I think that kind of concept of do you give them something that that gives them that thing to to hook into and to work with. Mm-hmm. Very good. So I think um, in the interest uh, of Ohino's schedule and uh, and I and, and honestly, we've we've talked through, I think, fairly well. Um, the questions that I, I prepared this morning when I read an email when Keithy and said, hey, what are we talking about exactly today? <laughs> Which, thank you for doing that. It's the beginning of the semester, and this semester is, is particularly crazy, so I need, uh-huh. that, I need that nudge sometimes. Um, I, so I think, I think we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. Woohoo, we, we made to- it! <laughs> Yay! Uh, we'd like to say thank you to our guests. Keith, where can folks find you? Uh, so you can find me, I'm HellCowKeith on Twitter and online at uh, Keith-Baker.com. I do lots of Eberron articles and Q&A, and you can also go to Together Studios, that's T-W-O-Gether, uh, TogetherStudios.com to find Illumat, The Adventure Zone, all the other games that I'm working on. And uh, Marcus Bird, Keith, in the chat was wondering about where he could find uh, Phoenix Dawn Command. I assume it's still available. Phoenix Dawn Command is still available. We've had there was a, a, a hiccup with our uh, distribution company for the last month or two, but if you go to togetherstudios.com, you can get it there. And uh, and I should also mention, of course, I also have a Patreon which ties into my website. So keep Baker on Patreon. Awesome, Nohenio. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at dmjazzyhands, uh, and you can find out more about uh, more about the Last Refuge and the lunar cycles affecting magic and the sort of wilderness survival aspects of my setting uh, by checking out our podcast. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter Twitter at, at @dndlastrefuge, uh, and you can find all the stuff that I work on my DMs Guild products and everything else uh, just by checking out the gaming page on my website eugeniovargas.com. And we'd also like to say thank you to all of uh, all of you who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. And if you want to email the Tome Show, you can email the Tome Show at gmail.com. Maybe you want to say ask for the the link to the Discord and go hang out with us over there. Um, you can also find uh, Tracy and I on Twitter. She is at Sarah Dark Magic, and that's Sarah with an H. I think Dark Magic is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am uh, at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, and the show is at The Tome Show. And that's episode 343, where we visited Strange New Worlds on a continuing mes- mission to demystify world building in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm off the wall.